Investigator Althea Song has some questions for the Thundermen. Meanwhile, each of the fellas has their own mission. A friendship is forged in favors, allegiances are questioned, and a letter is sent. Also, the Thundermen go toe-to-toe with an arena champion. We listen to episode 11 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Hello everyone and welcome back to Talking Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer, PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hi! Lauren, this was a meaty, meaty sode. It was! I thought last week was a big one. Like, usually our episodes average out at like 25 to 35 minutes, and Mm -hmm. last week was in the 40s. And I was like, wow, this is so big. And then this episode came along, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is going to last an hour. Yeah, they had some major... Well, we have the whole Althea song thing, but then we have Battlegrounds training, and like so much happens in this episode to where... You can't just skip over it. This it's all a, so important. This is a thick, meaty sound. Thick. Two C's. Heck, three C's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So let's get into it. We don't have time to dilly-dally. No jokes this episode. <laughs> no jokes at all. Now there will be plenty. <laughs> the boys have convinced Althea that her questions could wait until morning, mostly through Argo's lies and Fitzroy's tears and the fear bulk looking a little worn out. She wants to interview each of them individually the next day. She starts the day with Fitzroy. Travis invites the others to think about what they will do with their time while the others turn their respective interviews and Griffin jokes that they'll be playing Animal Crossing. Justin says he doesn't know how to have independent thoughts anymore. He's become so used to the pre-recorded ones. If he has a thought and doesn't record into a microphone, does it exist? And I feel the same way a little bit now these days. Yeah, if there's not proof that you said a thing, did you really say it? Yeah, that's why I'm recording everything that has ever said around me 24-7. What? You didn't tell me that? Oh, did you not know that? I only thought we were recording podcasts i didn't no, realize no, no 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 i don't know if you remember but when we first became friends i was like hi i'm pj i'm gonna be recording everything we ever say and you were like hi i'm lord and i was like that's verbal consent and you were like what and i was like nothing pj that was so long ago yeah and so i've had your verbal consent this entire time because <gasps> california is a two-party consent state so you need consent from both people for things to be admissible in court for things to be recorded so giving my name was well i explicitly said that you giving your name was verbal consent and you agreed so oh you my know. god <laughs> No time for jokes. I'm sorry. (laughs) Fitzroy sits at the dining room nook in his dorm across from the red-headed elven woman, Althea Song. She uses his full title by way of introduction, and Fitzroy is very grateful to have had it said correctly by another person because he's the only one who said it in his entirety before. Which is not true. It's not true. He seems to have forgotten that Hagelmiss has used his full title before during their teacher-student end-of-term meeting, and Rainier used it, but a little... A little cheek. like messingly. Yeah. But she's also used it fully. She has. Before she gets started, she wants to learn a little bit about Fitzroy and ask him what brought him to this fine institution. Fitzroy says, why does anyone go anywhere or do anything? He then confesses to having a magical cataclysm, which resulted in the Dean of a Night Base Academy being a muck-dwelling fish for like a minute. But it's not a big deal and they're all cool about it. <laughs> Althea then says she knows all about the catfish incident saying she even has spoken to Sylvia Knight about it. She clarifies that she wasn't interested so much in the events that brought Fitzroy to the school, but more the motivation. Fitzroy said he had to go to some school to become a better knight and serve the realm of Goodcastle. He guesses he could have sailed across the seas or the land or across the skies or to another planet or to Goodcastle, which he reiterates he doesn't know where it is, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he wants to make something of himself before that. Althea then asks if it's a family tradition of working as heroes and villains, and Fitzroy says, oh, sure, 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 in a super unconvincing tone. Yeah. He then attributes his family's wealth 
to the big history of heroism and villainy. Althea says she's gone through the Heroic Oversight Guild's records and can't find mention of the Maple Courts. I was so shook. Yeah, I was like, what's happening here? But as far as, so as, far as we know, Fitzroy just comes from wealth. Maybe his parents, like, he's, like, ashamed of, like, what his parents do. Like, they're not villains, but they're criminals. <gasps> oh, you think they're, like, dark villains? I don't know. Well, not even villains. Like, they're not part of the villain or hero society. They're just straight-up bad people. That'd be oh. interesting. And so he's, like, defying them by becoming a knight. Kind of like in Dimension 20, where Bill Seacaster got his money from just like being a pirate uh, a privateer oh i'm sorry privateer to be fair he never says he's a privateer only fabian says he's a privateer bill is an out and out pirate and he like is crazy but this isn't about to mention this me. isn't about to measure 20 it's very good though listen to it i'm sorry i can't be her says talking taz as we're talking about dimension 20 <laughs> we're dishing on dimension 20 that's our new podcast starting right now oh that's a twist Trademark, trademark, trademark. <laughs> Fitzroy just says they're from the other heroic oversight guild, the competing guild, which Althea says she doesn't know anything about. Fitzroy then says that Althea makes him very nervous, and she says she isn't here to judge or to get anyone in trouble, but she's merely gathering information. Fitzroy says he has a big family full of heroes and villains with his final answer. Althea says that she sees that Fitzroy is on the villain track and so will one day register with the Heroic Oversight Guild and ask what he knows about the Hog. Fitzroy says that if he decides to go with Hog and not the other Shadow Guild, <laughs> he assumes he will be instantly rewarded with vast sums of fame and fortune. Althea clarifies that the Heroic Oversight Guild is not responsible for compensation, but is there to make sure that he behaves within the structure and rules and legalities of being a professional villain or hero so that he stays on the straight and narrow. She continues to say that should he stray from the path, the Heroic Oversight Guild is there to gently guide him back or in some cases, take a more extreme measure. Which was very ominous. Ominous as heck, dog. Yeah. She's confident they won't have issues with Fitzroy, though. He counters with saying she's trying to put Thunderman in a box, which wouldn't work as he's not in a uniform box shape. <laughs> That's... I love I love Griffin's RPS. <laughs> it's the best. So much. Althea then goes on to state that Argonaut Keen and Master Fearbolg are acting as his permanent sidekicks while at school, but she wants to know if they've made plans to keep that arrangement once they graduate from school. Fitzroy says they like to keep it more fluid, jazz-like. It's all cash. <laughs> he goes on to say that they have a great thing going on now with his CFO keeping careful track of their spending, where Argo is doing something equally vital. I mean, I know Fitzroy's being a little flippant here, but I... I really hope they stay together after all of this. You know? I you, don't know. Again, you know? last episode, they're, they're really anti-Argo right now. They are anti-Argo, but that hope... I mean, I'm hoping that bridges will be mended and crossed and they'll be stronger for it. Althea says if he plans to keep them after school, he'll need to officially register them as sidekicks or hench people with the guild so they will be afforded their rights and protections. Althea moves on to business, asking him what his experience at the school has been like. Fitzroy says it's been awesome, with awesome tutelage. There's no bugs, the plumbing works. Althea assures him that no one will listen to their conversation, a ring she is wearing providing privacy so he needn't worry about anyone listening in. Then he says things aren't going great, and wonders if Hogg got a letter from a student requesting help, and now maybe that student doesn't live anymore. And I was like, don't say that. Don't say that, please. Don't put that Don't Any, put that out into the universe. Anything but that, please. Althea says the details of her investigation aren't for public consumption, but they did receive a message with some concerns. 
I don't like this. <laughs> I don't either. It's making me very uncomfy. He's now afraid of being killed in his sleep or being brainwashed into jumping into the Godscar chasm or something. And Althea hones in on the term brainwashed. Fitz says that his going theory and concern, which Althea says breaks one of the main rules in the Heroic Oversight Guild, that even the most villainous of villains can't compromise someone's free will. And Fitzroy says he thinks someone is going against their laws. Fitzroy apologizes for being so rude to her that she makes him nervous and she says not to be nervous. They're on the same side. She wants to speak to Argo next, but Fitz wants to know if she'll be sticking around the school because her presence does give him a sense of security and she says she is confident her time here will continue if his accusations are true. So we've had our first official interview with Althea. What do you think of her? I still think she's a little suspect, but I do think it's not for a bad reason like i think she just has different motivation than what she's putting out there but it seems like at the end of the day i think she's also suspicious of like the higglemisses and the hieronymuses the wiggenstaffs no oh the wiggenstaffs are cool the wiggenstaffs are it's just the higglemisses and the hieronymuses why are you pluralizing their names (laughs) are there more than one higglemi hieronymi is that i don't know if i'm saying that right it's like hippopotami you no, know? it's Higglemisses. <laughs> you know Hippopotamuses? I want a Hippopotamus. I want a Higglemiss for Christmas. Uh, yeah, I would want Higglemiss over Hanamus, even though I'm still so so sad over his treachery. <laughs> she invites Fitzroy to come to her with any concerns, and Fitzroy says it's really just the brainwashing and murder that are his concerns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, just those little things. Just those like little tiny things. Travis asks what Fearbulk has been doing while Fitz was talking to Althea. Master Fearbulk talks to the closest Gary to Higglemiss's office. Travis says there is an outside Gary. Inside and outside Gary's depend on their potty training, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> Apparently Gary's poop. And pee? I don't know. I have never thought of that before. Why did they put that in my head? I don't know. Why is everything going down to poop and pee? I don't know. Well, uh, if you've ever seen Scrubs, you have the very famous song, Everything Comes Down to Poop. I, I, of course you know I don't know that. Well, they have a musical episode. Okay. And they talk about how everything comes down to poop because as doctors, they could find out almost anything about your health via your fecal sample. Oh. And it's a whole song about it. It's actually very good. The musical episode of Scrubs is actually just generally very good. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. The Fearbulk asks Gary if he had seen him yesterday, to which Gary says he did see him. Master Fearbulk says he doesn't remember coming here and wants to know what Gary saw. Gary says the Fearbulk came wandering into the office, stayed inside for about 15 minutes, then wandered away, going to nap under the tree. So, I mean, we knew, obviously, that something was going on there. He probably was like brainwashed by Hickelmas, but we have confirmation here. Yeah, from Gary. The Fearbulk asks if he was carrying anything or acted strange, and Gary says he didn't respond when Gary said hello, and he seemed kind of out of it. The Fearbulk asks if Gary noticed anything strange yesterday, and Gary checks with the rest of the Garys before saying, You didn't hear this from us. But when you were in Higglemiss's office, Higglemiss's Gary was at a commission or asleep. Which is so crazy. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm going to have to mark that as super duper extra sus. Yeah, no, I'm ugh, I'm so sad about it, but I like I can't trust Higglemiss. You can't. No. Not with no. all this going on. And I really like Justin's voice work in this section like as things were being revealed, like you can tell it's really hitting the Fearbulk hard that all of this is going on yeah gary says it takes some pretty powerful magic to put a statue to sleep the fear bulk asks what the gary thinks happened gary says he didn't think much about it since he's seen the fear bulk wandering in and out of here every other day which every shocks the fear bulk and me every other day what what's happening 
Master Fearbulk then asks Gary if he can ask a favor since he and Gary are now buddies. He wants Gary to use the Gary system to find Fitzroy and make him stop the Fearbulk if Gary sees the Fearbulk wandering away again, which is genius. Yeah, I think that was perfect. Gary says he wants a favor in return, asking for a little hat with a big brim or some sunglasses. The sun hits him for a majority of the day. <laughs> Fearbulk says it would be his honor. And now we're either going to have Fedora Gary or Sunglass, Sunglass Gary. Which is your vote? Which would you prefer? Oh, you know what? I'll actually say it probably wouldn't be Fedora Gary. It'd be like big witch hat Gary, like funeral hat Gary. Like sun hat Gary. Yeah. What's your I mean, ideal Gary? I mean, probably see like now that I'm imagining with sunglasses, I just imagine like Gary putting on sunglasses. And as soon as he puts them on, like he like gets like a backwards cap, cool, multicolored windbreaker and he like skateboards away 90s gary he's 90s cool guy gary like justin mcelroy he's justin mcelroy gary (gasps) that's a pretty cool gary it's justin gary the one and only (laughs) althea invites argo to sit with her which he does she offers him something to drink argo asks for tangelo juice which i was like what i've never heard of tangelo yeah I was like, why are you always such an old man, Clint? (laughs) I love it. He's always trying to think of a new citrus to throw out there. So like literally he's like, last episode he was like kumquats, but actually loquats. And this episode he's like tangelo. So he's always like, he's into citrus, but not just the one citrus. He's into all citrus. Do you think that's because the boys kept being like, there's, you know, there's like more than limes, right? Yeah. Althea says she would like to get to know Argo a little before the official interview, much like she did with Fitzroy. She wants to know what brought Argo to the school, to which he says he has had a dream to work with the Commodore, whom Althea says she knows as one of the guild's most prized heroes. Argo says he has admired him since the day he met him, to which Althea asks when they met, and Argo says the Commodore and his mother used to work together, but not as his sidekick. Shabri Keen used to work on a narwhaler, a ship that went out to hunt narwhals, which disgusts Althea, and Argo agrees, saying there was an incident and his mother led a mutiny from that experience. Mm-hmm. She became a privateer, working for the Crown, and would work alongside the Commodore, which is how Argo met him. Yeah. Which is a nice little little bit of world building. Yeah, I liked that backstory for Argo and like his, not just his origins, but like his mother. Yeah. And I like that she was like on this monstrous whaling ship. Yes. And she, and I think Clint was just like, yeah, that's what happened. And then everyone was like, what? And he was like, and she led a mutiny. <laughs> and it, and everything stopped was fine. That no, honestly, I think he came up with it a little bit uh, ahead of time. But it did seem very like, uh, right, right. <laughs> right, right. Everything's cool. Griffin says there's only one incident that happens on a narwhal ship. And that's someone getting impaled by the tusk. Travis wonders if it was more of a free willy situation, but Clint says no. Shabri fell in the water and Argo jumped in after her because he can breathe underwater. But before he could do anything, the narwhal surfaced with his mom on top, holding onto the horn, and she was a changed woman and couldn't bring herself to kill those beautiful, beautiful creatures. Oh, good for you, Shabri. That is like a super cool scene. Oh yeah, no, I visualized it perfectly. Travis then clarifies the horn is actually a tooth. Or a specialized tusk to which Griffin says, yeah, get him, Trav. Burn that daddy. Scorch him. (laughs) Which I loved. Because literally as soon as he was like the horn, I was like, it's actually a tooth. So you also like pushed your glasses up your nose. Yeah. I mean, that's all I do. I feel like if you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast, you know, I'm actually just here like, um, actually, that would be an intelligence role. (laughs) Aren't I fun? I've not heard that voice before. You've done a lot of voices for me. As that's my just DM. my voice all that's, the time. That's your real voice? Yeah. No, that's the voice you always hear. Like, you just don't hear that voice because you're clouded by, like, your friendship with me. 
that contract you had me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glamoring everyone always. Except the listeners of this podcast. That's why they're always commenting how much they hate my voice. Oh. No one's ever commented that, by the way. But But PJ thinks it. I hear it in your minds. I can read the mind of every person listening to this podcast. And that's not what they're thinking. That's not what they're thinking. It is. It isn't. Althea asks Argo if he plans on becoming a professional sidekick to the Commodore after he graduates. And Argo says yes. It's all he's focused on. And it's the only thing that will make him happy. Althea wishes him luck in his endeavor. She asks Argo the same question she did Fitzroy. What do you know about the Heroic Oversight Guild? Argo says he doesn't know much. Althea expounds on this, saying there are two ways someone can become a registered sidekick or henchperson. One, they have a connection to the hero or villain and they request them. Or two, placements, where he registers, fills out forms and questionnaires, does some interviews, then can request a hero or villain to work with specifically. Argo makes it clear that he really only wants to work for the Commodore, and that's his dream, so Althea admits she personally knows the Commodore and would be happy to put in a word for Argo. Although he's excited about the prospect at first, Argo then says he wants to earn this and doesn't want any special treatment, so asks Althea not to say anything right now to see if he can become the sidekick to the Commodore deserves. Mad respect to Argo for that. Yeah, that's super cute. Yeah. Although, I mean cute, but like it's honorable, but like it's cute. But it's like cute. But like RIP to my hopes and dreams of the three of these boys going out and becoming yeah, he's Thunderman really LLC. Ugh. Althea then gets down to business and asks how his experience at the school has been, to which Argo says it's been a solid 6 out of 10. <laughs> he has some concerns, but there's more good than bad. At Althea's prompting, Argo says his concerns are personal because his roommates are close and have positions in the Thunderman Corporation, and he doesn't have a title and it bothers him which I've mentioned before, is messed up. Yeah, even Fitzroy earlier in this episode was like, the Fearbolg is my CFO, and I don't know what Argo does. Yeah. He would like to be the CCO in charge of communications because he fancies himself a writer. (laughs) But maybe we were wrong about Jermaine. Maybe Argo's writing this story after all. Or maybe this is Jermaine's self-insert. Oh my god, this is Jermaine's self-insert. It's been Argo this entire time. It's been Argo this whole time. Oh my god. Althea says this isn't in her purview, but she asks if Argo has reached out to them about wanting to be closer friends. Argo says that Fitzroy probably thinks he's an idiot, and he doesn't understand most of what the fear bulk says, so he hasn't reached out so he wouldn't seem like he was whiny. Althea encourages him, saying opening up and telling others how you feel isn't whiny, it's the thing that allows us to grow closer to others. She also says that she doesn't think he's an idiot, just that he isn't giving himself enough credit. Argo seems grateful for the compliment because all he's been complimented on is stealing things and taking blame. Okay, I'm becoming more and more okay with Althea. Yeah, I am too. That's touching to have yeah. Argo be like, oh my god, no one's ever complimented me on anything outside of like my rogue skills before. Yeah. She asks if he feels he has been treated fairly as a side person, to which Argo says he does, saying some things are harder than others, but others are easier, and so he has no complaints. Althea has one last question with no wrong answer. Since he arrived, has he seen anything strange? Argo says it's all strange. The skeletons bringing drinks to people and imps turning into bats and everything is strange. He's not wrong. He's not. Things He's... are strange when you're a stranger. Said a Voices come out in the rain. Is that a reference to something? I don't know anything. Uh, It's it's a Doors song. It's very good. Oh, okay. I like the Doors. It's like their most famous Which song. Which one is it? It's uh, People Are Strange by the Doors. I guess I'll listen to it. I, I mean, it's it's a it's a solid bop. Maybe if I start hearing it, I would understand. Like, I would recognize it. Yeah, music is like my thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> music is very much your thing. Althea clarifies: after establishing your day to day life here and seeing what is normal, what have you seen that you would consider out of the ordinary? 
Arco doesn't think he's seen anything out of the ordinary, that it's been straight down the line, which is just him, you know, being like, what secret society? What are you talking about? Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Unbroken chain, what? Althea invites Argo to come to her if he thinks of anything out of the ordinary or if he needs anything like she did for Fitzroy. Travis asks what Fitzroy was doing during Argo's session. Fitz goes to Festo to find out more about Althea. Travis uses they-them pronouns for Festo so that we are aware moving forward. Festo is asleep on their desk using student papers as pillows and blankets. Which is so cute. <laughs> I love Festo. I, what a teacher to just be like, I don't care about my students' assignments. I'm going to take a nap. I mean, but clearly Festo does care about the students' assignments. We've established that Fitzroy now feels Festo is an amazing teacher. Oh, I'm not saying Festo isn't an amazing teacher. It's just I think they assign things because they're supposed to. They're like that teacher that's like, pull out your textbooks. Now throw them out. That's not what this class is going to be about. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Festo, my Festo. <laughs> and then you start partying everywhere. Fitzroy says he'll come back later, but Festo wakes up saying they were just sleeping it off because they are hung over from partying so hard. Fitzroy says he's worried about Festo's desire to rage all the time, but Festo says they're fairly restrained as far as fairies go, which is like, dang, what are the other fairies like? <laughs> right? Like, what is it? What is a true fairy party look like? Madness. Chaos. It's just the movie Party Monster. Which I also have not seen. Fitzroy says he's having problems with a spell and needs Festo's help with Disguise Self. And while they are working on that, does Festo know anything about Althea's song? Which Festo calls out as an awkward transition. Yeah. Which it was. It's... Even when I was reading it right now, I was like, God, this is such an awkward transition. Oh, God, Fitzroy. <laughs> Fitzroy wonders how often visitors come from the Heroic Oversight Guild. And Festo says it's been a while. They mostly let the school go about their business when things are running smoothly. And they usually are. After Fitzroy asks for the hot, dripping, wet gas. Gross. Festo says Althea is an investigator with the Heroic Oversight Guild. That's, you know, not really the goss he was looking for. He pulls out Althea's business card <laughs> saying that information's on it. It's not really goss. He wants the scoop. The yeah. real scoop. The real scoop. The skinny. Festo only does bits twice. No rule of three for Festo here. Yeah, none of that. Festo takes a swig from their flask and says Althea is a prize investigator who gets sent on very important missions. And she's worked her way up through the ranks of the Heroic Oversight Guild. Festo likes Althea, saying she seems fun to party with and is nice, which is not the vibe I've gotten from her, but I trust Festo. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i trusting Althea more and more, but I do not see her as a partier. Yeah, no, even as I like her, I'm like, she doesn't seem like a party girl. No. No. After some back and forth, Festo tries to give Fitzroy a name, starting with Fitzy, then going to Roy, and then moving on to FM. FM, which Fitzroy's like, okay. Yeah, he agrees to that last one. Festo then says... FM, Festo is not always good at picking up on social cues, but are you asking if you can trust Althea's song? <laughs> when Fitzroy confirms this, Festo says Althea has always done right by Festo. She is kind and true, but she is committed to the hog and to doing her job and is unsure if Althea will put a person or her job first. Fitzroy then says, Abracazam, and disappears by ducking behind a desk. <laughs> so Festo can still see him, but they applaud Fitzroy on doing a good bit. So if we are to go by not approved nicknames, Fitzroy earlier called Hieronymus Ron in last last week's episode, and now Fesso tried to call Fitzroy Roy. So we'd have Ron and Roy. Ron and Roy Rogers. <laughs> Clint would die of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone, it's me, PJ, your damn good dude, here as always to thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. We hope you're enjoying this meaty sode. Lots is going on and I'm honestly surprised the episode isn't longer. 
You can really see the puzzle pieces falling into place, and we can't wait to see what picture it reveals. Be with us as that puzzle gets completed by keeping up with us on social media. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talkin' Taz or by searching for Talkin' Taz Podcast. Or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it, and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. No notes from this episode, but we still have our question. Last week, we left you with a question about PC betrayal, and we got some dramatic tales. This week is more general. Later in the episode, I share a random embarrassing story from my first day of 8th grade. Do you have any random embarrassing stories that live in your mind rent-free like mine did? An innocuous blunder that keeps you up at night? Let us know! Now, back to the podcast. Before we go to the Fear Bulks interview, the Thundermen have a date with the Battlegrounds. The hero slash villain trainer Frostus Crush Crushman meets them on the field. I feel like I read that like like a football commentator. We're Frostus gonna... Crush Crushman meets them on the field. That was so, okay. So remember when you said people don't like your voice, then you pull out something like really cool like that. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Travis has them roll history to which Justin says he can't because his dice are frozen to his desk from disuse. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh god but i get it because like i think that's like the crux of D actual play podcasts is like it is not as much play play it's a lot more talk talk which is fine like that's why you listen to it you're if you just wanted to see people roll a bunch of dice like this isn't for you go do that yourself but like i love that justin always calls it out he does but i i as a player always really enjoyed the role play sessions so much more than i do the heavy dice rolling sessions and as a dm i love role play sessions but i think even in a role play session i usually try to intersperse a little more dice rolling than travis does yeah this has been all this has been very talk heavy which this is episode. again totally fine yeah. like, this is not a complaint in the slightest i just think that was a super funny joke just justin <laughs> Travis agrees and says some episodes are roll heavy and some are more for the character work. After Justin laments that his dice have disintegrated, <laughs> Griffin tells us he only rolled an 8. Justin rolled a 16 and Clint rolled a fancy 19. That fancy 19 though. Which ends up working out because Argo established that he was a fan of Jimson and Crush's time in the arena. So he would definitely be talking about the trainers throughout their time together at the school. So all three of the boys know that Frostus Crush Crushman is a former <laughs> arena champion in the heavyweight division. He is a silver dragonborn and he fought with unbridled ferocity and never lost a match, which they are super certain of because every fight in the arena is to the death and he is not dead. Yeah, that's it's pretty proof positive that uh, he's, he's cool. Uh, that'd be so wild. I mean, but like... Revivification and stuff exists. They do exist. Do you think they like left them all for dead? All those arena champions? Maybe. Like if you agree to it, like maybe like that's just the end of it, you know? That is so gruesome. That is like the Coliseum on steroids. Yeah. After eight years, they say he was allowed to retire. And I'm like, was he a slave? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. This just got so much darker. That's very Coliseum. Very Uh, ancient Rome. But there's a rumor that he was forced to retire because everyone was too afraid to go up against the blood-soaked silver-scaled monster. And I was like, this is so sick. This is definitely, like, you know there's got to be some prequel or something to Jermaine's novel that was just about Crush. It's, like, called Blood on the Sand. The Crush and Jimson story. I'd read it. I would read the heck out of it. <laughs> Jimson was also an arena champion, though in the featherweight division, and the two met while at the arena and got married. Aww. Which, I, I like this backstory specifically because now I know that Crush is way bigger than Jimson. 
Yeah. Does that? And like, I always pictured them the same size. But, well, I mean, not necessarily smaller, just lighter, more muscular, I suppose. What no, because is... featherweight is significantly because there's there's bantamweight, featherweight, middleweight, and heavyweight. Okay. So there's a whole weight class in between the two of them. So, well, we know Crushman's a a dragonborn. What is Jimson again? Jimson's just a human. So, I mean, it makes total sense that they would be a featherweight compared to Crush's Crush. dragonborn heavyweight. And we have things such as like Goliaths in this world. Yeah. And, like, so, bolts. you know, honestly, Jimson might still be really big, but like For a human. just not have scales and be made of rock. That <laughs> I mean, yeah. Currently, Crush appears to be meditating and a young looking silver haired elf woman stands to the side of the field. Argo recognizes her as the same woman from when he was initiated into the unbroken chain. As the boys approach, Crush rises and greets them. Fitzroy cries, sneak attack, and rolls a 23 as a sneak attack against Crush, which he does not have sneak attack. And is about to roll damage and Trevor says, no, you don't have sneak attack. You can't do that. (laughs) It would be a surprise attack and he can't be surprised, which means he has alert. Yep. Which is one of the best feats in the game. Oh, yeah. Super cool. So Griffin backtracks and says Fitzroy swung his maul close to Crush, but held back at the last second saying, I coulda. Now who's the teacher? (laughs) (laughs) Crush doesn't even flinch, which Fitzroy and everyone says is super cool. Then, just as Crush is ready to move on, Argo cries, sneak attack! And Crush points out that it's not a great idea to yell sneak attack when they're attacking. (laughs) Which Fitzroy says they can just whisper it instead. Because you can't not say it. What's the point if you're not saying it? I've never said sneak attack as a rogue. Have I been doing it wrong this whole time? Honestly, I'm not going to allow sneak attacks unless you yell sneak attack moving forward. That's the new home rule rule. <gasps> I have to remember that. Oh, no. Can I write it down? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Crush then explains that he heard how they almost died at the hospital, and he wanted to see the boys to train and teach them. The boys roll initiative. Argo starts us off with his two-weapon attack, his rapier and a cudgel. The rapier attack misses, but the cudgel hits, so Argo hits him for two-hole damage. Ooh, nice. I've been there. I've been there where you just roll like crap on your damage. Yeah. Yeah. Fitzroy goes next and wants to know if he can use magic, saying he has some pretty gnarly stuff and casts Chromatic Orb. Before he does this, though, he takes the time to determine which dragon type Crush is a descendant from. It's Frost, and wonders if he's more vulnerable to fire. But Crush says he isn't too vulnerable to a lot of stuff. Which Fitzroy points out that's exactly what he would say if he was vulnerable to fire. He casts a spell, (laughs) but while also using Tides of Chaos to gain advantage on the attack. He hits for 15 fire damage, but asks if it was actually 30, to which Travis is like, no, just the 15. Which is true, Dragonborns don't have any specific vulnerabilities from their lineage. No, but they do have certain, not immunities, but they take less damage from From certain certain things, depending on their origin. Exactly. Master Fearbolt casts Hold Person, which is a wisdom save, and Crush succeeds. You could say he crushes it. You could say that. You could. But should you? Nope. <laughs> Justin goes into a weird voice when Travis tells him what he rolled, saying that's the Fearbolg's actual voice, and his name has been Jerry this whole time. Jerry, uh, which, Ron, uh, Roy. Yeah, Jerry, Ron, and Roy are what? three are three intrepid heroes. <laughs> Crush goes next, and we don't get a clear picture as to what he does, but whatever it is, probably his breath attack, forces the boys to make a con save. Master Fearbolg and Fitzroy save their throws, so they only take half damage, but Argo takes the brunt which the boys joke is a million damage, so Fitzroy and the Fearbolg only take 500,000. Oh, oh, okay, just 500,000. Just a flesh wound, really. It's only 12 damage, though, so the two who have saved only take six. Argo goes again, this time attempting sneak attack by yelling it again, which Crush says, I thought we talked about this, but okay. (laughs) Argo uses Florence and hits, so he deals 17 damage. 
Gotta love that sneak attack. Heck yes. And disengages. Gotta love that disengage. Come on, rogues. Fitzroy says his previous spell was his really big one and asks if Crush felt anything at all when he got hit, to which Crush says it did some damage. Fitz then goes into a rage using his workshopped phrase, Thunderstrike, which he's still not sold on 100%. I thought it was pretty cool. I love it. Yeah. He goes into a rage. His wild magic surge makes a beam of light lance from his chest. Yeah, they Iron Maned it. He Iron Maned it. Iron Man Proton Blast. Whoop, whoop which will unfortunately also catch Argo in its beam. Luckily, it misses both the targets, and Fitzroy says yesterday was Taco Tuesday, so he doesn't know if that was from something he ate, <laughs> that it's <laughs> from the wild magic. Honestly, who could be sure? I mean, honestly, it could go either way. He then attacks with his maul and hits this time, which bloodies crush, and Fitzroy says, yeah, let's see that teacher blood. Now you're messing with the Thundermen. <laughs> Master Fearbowl casts Moonbeam, but Crush rolled a nat 20, so only takes half damage. Crush then goes into a rage, draws his Radiant Greatsword, which causes Fitzroy to say uncle, but he attacks Fitzroy. Griffin at this point is saying, say psych right now. Say psych. <laughs> Clearly afraid that he is going to be straight up murdered, even though Maria is standing by. Yes. Which hits for 17 damage. Crush then says they did great and wonders why the imps almost killed them. Fitzroy whines that he was just cut with a big sword and he wants a second to recover while Argo is confident that they can take Crush. Which Fitzroy is not excited about saying they can just call it a tie. The fear bulb points out that the goal cannot be to kill Crush, so he's out if Argo is going to continue to goad Crush. But Argo drops it. Marie comes up and heals him for 2d8 HP. Justin then goes on a rant, saying the d8 is the least satisfying die to roll. I disagree. Not. The d4 is the least satisfying the die to roll. The d4 is... Awful. Awful. It's awful. It's hard to roll. It's hard to pick up once you've rolled. Yes. I... It's a problem. Anything... Any die that has a base to pick it up from is automatically better than a D4. Yes. Oh, my God. If When I have to gather up D4s to roll my damage, I hate my life. I hate my life. Yeah, because you're just like, you're like a bad claw game with your own hands. Yes. Although I've never had to roll a D2, essentially flip a coin. So I don't know how bad that would be. Yeah. But you would never have to roll multiple D2s ever. God, I would hope not. Can you imagine? Do I do one or two? He says it's like rolling a small slice of Velveeta cheese or a small tree and there's no satisfying way to roll it. We get back on track and Crush wants to know why the imps so effectively kicked their asses, saying imps should be easy. Fitzroy claims they can turn into bats and he's afraid of those. Is he Batman? Is <laughs> is Fitzroy Batman? He's Thunderman. Oh. <laughs> and Fitzroy brings up that they had a boss, a bigger leader, the Emperor, if you will, according to Clint. <laughs> who is a chain devil, which Crush says is super out of their league. The boys point out that they did end up defeating the demon after all, to which Crush says they should have led with that, and he's actually really proud of them. But this is interesting because how did word get back about the imps but not the chain devil? To the teachers. But that's the only reason we know about the devil is because the boys went up against him. I mean, the assignment was to clear the hospital of all imps, but As, this was a mission they did for the school. Wouldn't they have reported what happened back to the school? That's up to the Thundermen. I guess, but clearly they're not averse to sharing that information. I just feel like this is being suppressed by the media, a.k.a. the Wigan staffs. Oh, I didn't. Oh, no. Fitzroy collapses into tears, saying he's been waiting his whole life for someone to say those words. The Crush is proud of him. And Crush points out that they're still going to train, but tells the boys, good job. Aww. We then find out what Argo has been up to during the other boys' interviews. Argo is looking into his unbroken chain mission where he's supposed to be investigating Fitzroy, but he's still not super comfortable spying on Fitzroy, so he's looking at this as a more, let's learn more about him, instead of a, let's creep around and fight more about Fitz. He goes to the library, which we've established as one of the most extensive research libraries around. 
He speaks to Sabor as he was present at the Unbroken Chain meeting, so he can speak freely with him. Argo reveals his tattoo, which at this point almost wraps around his whole arm as he's continued to have it embellished and added onto down at the hedgehog pad. So his first tattoo was a compass with the unbroken chains, blood, bone, rain, and stone for the north, south, east, and west. What else do you imagine he has added to this tattoo to make it wrap around his entire arm? Oh, for sure. He's like, like probably above it, there's like a big rain cloud pouring down over the clock. There's like a whole skeletal system around next to the bone. It's all like, you know, like blood has blood gushing all over it. Like in stone, there's like, I imagine he's literally just adding on the embellishments of each piece. Okay. That's cooler than what I was thinking, which is just (laughs) like, you know, the heart with mom in it and like stuff about like, I heart the Commodore. No, I like to imagine that it's like a singular piece. This is not going to become very secret if he's like tattooing his whole body (laughs) with the secret society. It's true. Uh, Sabor says there's no need to be sneaky. There's no one there. And Argo awkwardly is like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I wanted to show you my tattoo. Obviously. Sabor offers to bring Argo into his office, which Argo asks if that means they're going to go into his shell. And Sabor's like, no, there's not a house inside my shell. That's not how this works. Which surprises Argo, as that's what he thought happened, uh, which I guess everyone did from cartoons. But like, that's just that's not real. That's not real. I remember when I found out that wasn't real was when I watched the famous French horror film Cannibal Holocaust. How old were you? Oh, young. But there's a scene in it where this is a real thing that they shot. They kill a turtle to eat it. And they like break open its shell and you see like it's like tendons and stuff all connected to it. And I was like, that's what that's not a little house (laughs) yeah it's not that sounds horrifying uh cannibal holocaust is a super good movie it's the first ever like documentary style movie in like the horror genre that became really big it was so believable and the style was so new that the government arrested the directors thinking that they just murdered all these people wow but they didn't it was just very well done i'm gonna be skipping out on that um, but thank you. So it's much. really good though. I will clarify. It's a pretty good movie. Like it looks like it's just going to be like some murder porn or whatever, but it's not. It's really about like how these cannibal societies are based around respect and stuff because like you basically get two perspectives, which is the first people that go there and they're like terrible to the society and basically get slowly hunted down. Then you have the researchers that come later and they're like super respectful and nothing bad happens to them. I have respect for that. I'm still not going to watch it. <laughs> Thank you. Argo asks if there's any old issues of Knights Illustrated, which might have information about Fitzroy, especially the bathing suit of armor issues. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, God. Cringe is, he's very clever. So good. (laughs) Sabor says he doesn't have any information as he's looked into every social registry of rich families, bloodlines, knights, and can't find anything about Fitzroy Maplecourt. Argo says that he might approach it from a different angle, and a second set of eyes might prove beneficial, and Sabor wonders if he's been able to gather any information to help narrow the search. Argo says that Fitz's mom carried a bag with gum in it, but then remembers that his mother's name is Dendra, and Sabor grabs a book from one of the stacks and flips through it, finding Dendra Maplecourt. She's just listed as a cousin four times removed from any significant bloodline in a footnote under the Maplecourt family. I'm so here for this. Yeah, this is wild. Fitzroy has been lying about his lineage and all this stuff. And also just unrelated, 
Sabor's memory is wild that he can remember all of this. Oh, yeah. I'm so impressed with his memory. I would want him on my pub trivia team. We'd win every time. Not that we don't already. Oh, man. Oh, no. Shots fired. They're going to come for us. PJ. No, it's not because of anything. It's just always the same people. And we just happen to have a very well-balanced group. When we're in-person pub trivia and not Zoom call pub trivia, best believe we are second and third usually. Or dead last. That has happened before, but that was when we had a weaker link in the team. We don't have that issue anymore. You might say we've become the unbroken chain. We are now the unbroken chain. (laughs) That's your name. She didn't seem to come into any wealth or power from this connection. She was not from a family of any note or wealth or privilege. Argo wonders if this means Fitzroy isn't really royalty, which when was that a discussion? I know he's fancy, but he's not a prince. He's a knight. Yeah, he he. that has never once been a discussion that he's like royalty. It's wealthy. Yeah, and Travis confirms this. Argo also sees that she was married to a man named Jerry Maplecourt, who's a long haul caravanner, which is like a truck driver. Yeah. Sabor then points to a mailing address for Dendra and Argo decides he'll write a letter to Dendra after he comes up with some sort of clever ruse to get more information. This is so so wild. wild. Oh my God. Okay, so Jerry is Fitzroy's father. Fitzroy is so fancy, like a name. Well, he probably, I've seen this happen before. It's in in other pieces of media, but like people that like fake being well off because they're so embarrassed of how not well off they are. So then are his brooches real? Is his cloak game whack? Honestly, maybe not. (gasps) Oh my god, Fitzroy? Argo asks if there's any recommendations Sabor might think Argo would be into in terms of just regular books in the library, especially on barbarians looking at Fitzroy's source of magic. Sabor says he'll send the books that he thinks will be most useful to Argo's room, and that the books Argo requested, The Adventures of Larry the Lime, came in, so he'll send that up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to which delights Argo to no end. Oh my god, Larry the Lime. I just think it's like a VeggieTales style thing, in my opinion. Where it's his little lime. What adventures does he go on? Is he a, is he seafaring like Argo is? Or do you think he's doing something He's else? seafaring, if you mean sea as in citrus. Let's move on to what happens next in the episode. I'm done talking about Larry the Lime. Larry the Lime and the Three Ring Citrus. The Fearbog enters the room for his interview. He sits in a chair and props his feet on the table, clarifying that she wants to speak to the resident bad boy and that he can't believe he got caught into the principal's office. <laughs> this is one of the funniest bits. It's so good. I was yes. like, fear bulk. <laughs> Get it. Althea says she isn't the principal and the fear bulk presses the issue, asking what he's done this time. <laughs> We've established the fear folks have a great sense of humor. They do. Althea says he isn't in trouble, that she isn't an employee of the school, and works with the Heroic Oversight Guild, to which the fear folks says, blah, 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 pretend I'm lowering some glasses I do not have. <laughs> but then almost immediately, the fear folks apologizes, saying this feels terrible, and that Rainier said this would be the proper approach to the situation, because he has no frame of reference for this, and he feels pretty bad. Which I was like, dang, way to troll him, Rainier. So it is confirmed she is a, a light prankster then. Heck yeah. The fear bull goes on to explain that he isn't the resident bad boy and he doesn't even know what it means. Althea says she actually has some knowledge on the fear bulk from the hog, which is really big on including all races and cultures. Come on, inclusivity. Come on, inclusivity. So she knows they cannot lie, which is like made me nervous because she was like, I know you can't lie. That's but she didn't she say it like that, it, but I was no. like, oh my God, I don't know. I'm just still so nervous. 
I get that, but almost immediately she like she handles this entire interview so well with the fear bulk. I agree. The fear bulk says this is true and it's very painful to lie. Althea says she will do her best not to press him into discussing anything he doesn't want to talk about because yeah, she's great. Goals. She asks why the fear bulk decided to leave his clan and wander since that is unlike many other fear bulk. He says this wasn't his decision, that he is in exile, and Althea immediately asks if this is something he wants to discuss and he would rather not. So she moves on to the matter at hand, asking how his experience at the school has been. He says it's very different from his home, that there are so many bathrooms at the school. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, yeah, that would probably have blown his mind when he first came to the school that like you don't just like go wherever you want. Can I share like a really random unrelated story? Yes. When I was in middle school, there were two sides of the school. There was like the sixth and seventh grade side and the eighth grade side. And on the 6th and 7th grade side, the boys' bathroom was on the left. And so I went there 6th and 7th grade and I I went to the boys' bathroom on the left. First day of 8th grade, none of my friends showed up. So I was like nervous. Like, yeah, they were all just not there for the first day. What? And so I was like nervous. And for some reason, I was like, I'm just going to hide in the bathroom because I just have such intense social anxiety. I was like, I'm just going to hide in the bathroom until like the bell rings because I do not just want to be outside sitting there like a loser. And so I I just chilled in the bathroom and I went to the left bathroom. Homeboy, tell me if the, tell me if the left bathroom on the eighth grade side wasn't the girl's bathroom. (laughs) I didn't even realize. I was just like, wow, eighth graders don't have urinals. That's messed up. I guess that's a kid thing or something. I didn't know that. Oh my God. I guess urinals everywhere else have always been for kids. And I chilled in there for a solid, like, 10 minutes because no one was in the bathroom, luckily. Oh, my God. And literally, like, as I'm leaving, because I was like, the bell's about to ring, a girl walks in and I was like, oh, wrong bathroom. And I was, like, the most embarrassed I've ever been in my life. Oh, no. (laughs) Is that your most embarrassing story? No, no, no. There's so many more, so many more embarrassing stories than that. So then our listeners need to keep listening. Well, just keep listening. One day I'll tell you about the time I slipped on a banana peel. It'll be a riot. An actual banana peel? Oh, yeah. This straight up happened. (gasps) <gasps> like a cartoon mm-hmm. in case you've ever wondered if it's a thing it is <laughs> <laughs> when she asks if he's enjoyed his time he says it's very difficult that he has friends and enjoys his studies but he's had strange experiences and can't think of much else althea asks him about these strange experiences and he admits to being compelled to do things he has no memory of althea says that's very serious and the fear bulk says he doesn't like the feeling of not being in control She thanks him for telling her, and he clarifies that he isn't telling her to unburden himself or for her investigation, but he needs to know that all people live by a code, and he thinks there isn't anything more sacred, and for the first time since he came from the forest, he doesn't know if he is following his code. My heart was breaking. It's rough. Yeah. Althea agrees that people must live by a code, and she is taking this accusation very seriously, and offers to loan him something which may help him. It's a beetle-shaped brooch, which acts as a recording device, which she uses to record meetings. But she thinks the fear bulb might have more need for it now. That was, I liked that. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I think it's really nice, but also could potentially like be like some insane reveal later on. Oh, for sure. No, it's like, we're going to use it. The fear bulb clarifies the local and federal regulations before accepting the secret bug. Still concerned with the Thunderman LLC. Always. He doesn't want, you know, any fraudulent charges to come against them and possibly cause a collapse of the company. Right, right. He wants to know if he needs to wear this bug in secret, and Althea says that if he's asked about it, he can tell, and he puts it under his leash shirt to avoid this. She then says that if he needs her help, she would be happy to help if he came to her, and then he bids her farewell. And the episode fades, but wait! But wait! There's more! There's more! After credit scene! Ooh, ooh. 
It's Argo writing a letter to Dendra Maplecourt. And I was like, oh my God. I was so happy that they had Clint actually like give us the entire letter instead of just, I wrote a letter to his mom. Like, I really like that they gave us the whole thing. Basically, he introduces himself as Fitzroy's best friend, along with the Fearbulg, which he has a fun time trying to remember his name. And he calls him Dr. Fungus and not Dr. Mushroom. And I was like, you're wrong. Yeah, we've never called him Dr. Fungus. But he says, I can wait for another letter. He says that this friendship is why he's reached out to her. They've all grown quite fond of Fitzroy, and they'd like to surprise him with a kind of social event. They want to roast him, which obviously a roast is just a good-natured ribbing session. You say some mean things, but it's all in good fun. Yeah, but the Fearbulk had gotten confused, so... (laughs) Which makes me wonder, did Argo float this past the Fearbulk? Because the Fearbulk can't lie. I I don't think so. I think he's just really playing into it he's a good liar he's a very good liar he wants to know any fun stories about fitzroy's childhood about fitzroy's father any detail to help him come up with some facts about fitzroy that he will be surprised to hear coming from argo his best friend in the world of course it's all in good fun but the more personal the deeper the secret the more effective the japery will be he vows to watch over Fitz and allow no harm to come to him here that is a solemn promise that he does not make lightly but i actually We'll say this is probably super true based on our interactions with him earlier. Oh, yeah. No, I think he actually feels this this loyalty to Fitzroy. He does say this is going to be a surprise. So please don't tell Fitzroy about this. He looks forward to hearing from her. And in the words of Larry the Lime, don't be rickety. (laughs) We know a little bit more Larry the Lime lore. Don't be rickety. Your humble and obedient Argonaut Keen, CCO, unofficially of the Thunderman Corporation. P.S. If you have any of that hot mint gum, I would love to surprise him with some at that roast. Ooh, dang, this is going to get wild. This is going to get so wild because not only do we have like the book telling us Fitzroy's backstory and like the fact that his parents aren't who we thought that they were, but now we're going to actually hear from them because Argo freaking wrote this letter. It's a well thought out lie. It is. I... I put this in my notes where Clint's ideas are so wild and just out there, but somehow he makes it work. It's yeah, it's insane. And I love it. And I cannot wait to get to the episode where we get the response letter. and We start getting all this information. Heck, maybe we even meet Dendra. I don't know. It's going to be insane. Yeah, I don't know if we'll meet Jerry. He's probably out there long haul caravanning yeah. a lot. Oh my God, to actually hear from Fitzroy's parents. I'm going to make another song reference for no reason that I know you won't know. Oh, okay. But every time we talk about Jerry, since he's a driver, I always think of that song, Jerry Was a Race Car Driver by Primus, which is such a such a good song. And all I think about this entire episode is Jerry Was a Race Car Driver. It's a bop. But that is all we have for you this week, folks. Honestly, it was quite a lot. Oh, yeah. No, this there's so much. And now that we've officially had an episode with Althea, I can confidently say she's fire. I really like her. Real quick. Did you understand the song reference in the title to this episode? Probably not. But let me double check. Oh, yeah. No, you can call me Al. Okay. So you do know you can call me Al. Yeah. What a bop. That's Another a great bop. song. Bops on bops on bops. Bops on bops on good at least you know you can call me out that is legitimately such a good song oh yeah no i really like that one well we hope you had fun listening to this very long episode but until then i've been pj i've been lauren and we hope to see you again next thursday when we are once again talking taz